Welcome in Slump Busters. It's time for episode 95 of the Slump Buster podcast. I'm your host, Juju Talk Sports, and my guest today is going to be Mr. Kyle Ledbetter, the host of the Take It Easy podcast and the moderator behind one of the best IG pages you can find, comical underscore sports underscore memes. On today's episode, we talk about the NBA playoffs, give you an update on Major League Baseball, and talk the latest happenings in Julio Jones and the Atlanta Falcons. But before we do that, folks, it's time to give a shout out to our partners. Caveman Coffee Co. Caveman is a fantastic single source, single origin goodness from a company with impeccable taste and ethics. The people behind it are beautiful souls and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never ending quest to do better, be better, love harder, and enjoy deeper. Guys, I tell you, their nitro cold brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning. Great way to start the day. But why stop there? They have their mammoth blends, which I highly encourage you getting. They have their hibiscus teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our promo code slump, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products. Kmancoffeeco.com, promo code slump. Guys, don't be a chump. Use promo code slump and get yourself a case today. All righty, guys, it's time for the episode. Episode 95, Kyle Ledbetter, Take It Easy Podcast, Chemical Sports Beams, Juju Talk Sports, Hashtag Bust the Slump. Enjoy. Welcome in Slump Busters. It is time for episode 95. Yes, we are five episodes away from the coveted 100 spot. Closing in hot, got that thousand subscriber mark, and we are happy to bring you Kyle Ledbetter for the third time on the Slump Buster podcast history, a frequent guest, the host of the Take It Easy podcast, the mod behind the comical sports memes Instagram page, which is very popular, has a ton of great memes, and is a hilarious page that I encourage everyone to check out. Kyle, how are you doing this fine morning, sir? I am doing fantastic, Juju, and, you know, third time's the charm, so I've got good feelings for this podcast here today. I I love what you're doing here with Slump Buster, and I'm I'm happy to be back. Well, we're happy to welcome you back. Even though you say third time's the charm, I felt like the first two went well, other than your Josh Allen take. I think everything's been up to code. I've burned the tape on that. We we don't we don't discuss the fact that I said Josh Allen would uh, go six and ten with the Bills and get replaced by Dak Prescott. But in my defense, Buffalo did have the 17th ranked defense last year. It just happened to be that Josh Allen had the greatest single season improvement in the history of the NFL. So. Yeah, no biggie, just sleeping on a dark horse MVP candidate, or should I say a dark bill MVP candidate there, uh, giving the uh, Three Rivers crowd a little bit of hope, right? But uh, yeah, no, Buffalo, they were a great story last year, though I got to ask, and one of the funny things that we kind of like talked about, like heading into this episode here, was it bad that I completely forgot that there was playoff NBA games going on right now as we're about to record? Uh, it depends. So I've had this thought about sports recently because sports landscape is changing with generations right in front of my eyes at the very least. And one of the things I've kind of realized is that other than football and to an extent, the NBA, like there's just a lot of niche sports now. Like some people can't follow 12 sports at one time. It's really difficult for me to try and care about Phil Mickelson playing in the PGA championship and try and watch playoff hockey first round and try and watch four NBA playoff games. Saturday was kind of a little too much for me. And so imagine people who also tried to watch UFC on Saturday or tried to watch the big boxing match. Like there's so much going on. And I didn't even mention the fact that my San Diego pod Padres have won eight consecutive games and now have the best record in Major League Baseball. So there's just, there's so much going on that 
people kind of pick and choose their niche sports. Like football is the one sport that's like king of the American sports landscape. They have a monopoly on everyone's attention whenever football season comes around. And it's slowly becoming like a year round sport, as I've noticed from content. But people kind of pick and choose the sports they like. Some people love baseball. Some people love the UFC. So no shame if you're not paying attention to playoff basketball. I didn't really watch any regular season basketball this year. I just followed it, knew enough to talk about it with some sort of interest and intrigue and being able to throw stats out like the Clippers had the second best net rating in the NBA this year, but they're still increasingly dependent on Kawhi Leonard for a lot of their offense. But other than that, I wasn't watching as many of the games. So to your point, pick and choose your sports and pick and choose your spots to come in. It's not that weird if you're not watching playoff basketball. Yeah, I think it's very easy as a general sports show like we are at the Slump Buster to kind of lean football heavy. Like you mentioned, football is king in America. Football always has these interesting offseason debates. The offseason just keeps extending into headlines that people want to talk about, that captivate interest and people want to click on. When you talk about like NBA storylines, it kind of seems like you run out of stuff to really delve into beyond LeBron. It just starts to kind of get a little bit monotonous in talking about it. And also too, like you just have these storylines that, I don't know, it just feel almost hollow in a way in the NBA. Like they don't really like have the real like depth that I look for, like that some of the NBA or the NFL stories have, like just look at the schedule release. The schedule release in the NFL was tons of blogs, videos, content for everyone. It was a godsend if you talk sports, but the NBA, you could just go weeks on end without something really interesting happening. Is that like mostly a product of it being a long season? Do you think? I think 100%. Baseball and basketball, and to people who really care about regular season hockey, I think they all experience the same thing. And to an extent, European soccer and football have kind of figured this out better than everyone else, where their game days are like events. For football, you can carve out one day of the week and you can sit down and watch football. And if you like Premier League soccer, you can carve out your Saturday mornings every week and watch Premier League soccer and know everything there is to know about the league. And so I think because there's so much content and the fact that we're now growing up in the first generation where there aren't a lot of casual sports fans because there's just so much content out there to consume. I think that you're definitely right on about that idea of the NBA regular season. It's hard to sustain meaningful conversation because it drags out for so long. And I'll never forget the moment when I realized that it was last year, right after the Super Bowl. And I was trying to get back into NBA basketball. And this was the first time we'd done a podcast during the the NBA regular season. So I was watching it more as an analyst than as a just a fan watching basketball. And I realized, wait a minute, nothing matters. Like I'm trying to talk about Chris Stapps and his return to New York as like a whole topic for the day. I'm like, wait a minute, this game does not matter at all. And so I think basketball is kind of in that same place where all you can do is drum up more stuff about the MVP conversation for a few weeks or rookie of the year and awards like that, which is why I propose we should make six or seven more NBA awards so that we have more conversation to talk about. But people tried to create Chris Paul as MVP one week and Steph Curry's the MVP the next week because it's content. It's the same thing that's happening with Julio Jones in the NFL right now. I don't think Julio Jones is going to leave the Atlanta Falcons but it's content for the next two weeks. So there's this interesting balance that comes up in basketball that Jokic was the MVP the entire way, but we kept making a conversation out of different people winning MVP because without talking about that, I don't know what else there is to talk about until we get to the playoffs and we actually can see the matchups in the brackets. 
but the regular season in the NBA is totally irrelevant. Yes. Yeah. I mean, literally, I think I watched the opener Clippers Lakers and that was it. That was it until like now. And now pretty much the only thing I have to really look into the playoffs for is my Nets hate train. I guess there was a uh, Twitter (laughs) poll that came out like a little bit ago that apparently the Nets have surpassed the Lakers as the most hated team in the NBA. And that definitely did catch my interest because I don't know. I just look at the guys, man. I just cannot get behind it. Maybe it's because I have that biased Boston Celtics fan in me, but Kyrie Irving is just the bane of my existence. Not to mention Kevin Durant spurning us a couple years ago as well when he was making his decision. And then, you know, just James Harden just being James Harden. I mean, I I guess I'm close to Houston. So yeah, yeah. I actually saw James Harden's last game as a Houston Rocket. So, you know, just points, throwing that out there. Yeah. And think about it this way, though. For the last five years, these guys have all been in their prime. And who are three players that have universally been more critiqued than Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. And now they're doing the thing that for some reason everyone hates, which is joining together on a super team. I think it's the greatest thing in the world, which is why I've, I've gone the other way. When I see everyone hating on Kyrie, because I love Kyrie Irving. I love the idea that we have an interesting player who at the very least is being fun for us to watch. First of all, his game is insanely fun. But second of all, he says things that create content and he speaks his mind. And I wish more NBA players spoke like Kyrie Irving. But at the very least, you have a very strong opinion either way about Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. It's understandable that they're the most hated, but I also suspect that for people on the other end, they're probably one of the most loved teams, especially me who watched that Celtics-Nets game and found myself giving a little fist pump every time uh, James Mm -hmm. Harden hit that step back three-pointer or Kyrie hit a floater over Robert Williams in the paint. (laughs) We had Jalen Brown Celtics in six. I'm just saying, I am just saying, no, I'm kidding. How how sad does this make you feel that, um, that NBA Twitter is basically treating you like the Orlando magic right now? Like you guys were almost going to win game one and they're like, Oh my God, the Celtics might win game one, but they're just waiting to put you out of your misery at this point. Yeah, I'm just hoping that some locker room combustion happens between those four mid-game three, maybe some how there's a Kardashian mixed in the middle somewhere. I, I just need that kind of like drama. If I'm going to get anything out of the Nets season, I think that has to be the basis for my enjoyment of it. Um, but ultimately, I, I think it would have been nice if my Celtics were a legitimate threat to take them out. I gave up on that, even though I was tempted to throw down a bet because I'm like, you know, weirder things have happened potentially i was just kind of like thinking stylistically the type of um team brad stevens has put up against like has done well against a team of the nets accoutrement in the past but um when you just look at just how loaded it is james harden's finally not bad Kyrie's actually there and kevin durant's not injured when you have all three and those working in tandem it's just a very hard combination hell do you think they still give marcus aldridge a ring just for shits and giggles yeah, uh, DeMarcus Cousins got one from the Lakers last year, in case you're unaware of that. He uh, he tore his Achilles in the preseason last year, and uh, they gave him a ring. So LaMarcus Aldridge is going to get one if they win the championship, because his, uh, his was a tough situation to, to go through with the medical retirement. So he'll get one. In terms of the Kardashian thing, so it, I, I'm not well-versed in the Kardashian verse. So is Tristan Thompson still dating a Kardashian? Because I know he's on the Celtics now. Um, okay. No, that one, I believe, ended in an ugly fashion as of a couple years ago. I believe okay. he was dating Chloe. 
I forgive me if I butcher these names, uh, folks. I'm not a big consumer of the e-network. If you if you notice, this is a sports podcast. Just typically, oh, understandable. But this is a funny, <laughs> yeah. But, this is a funny premise. But with that said, uh, you know, obviously Blake Griffin. Um, I think he's got one of the Jenners. I, I never understand Kylie or oh. Kendall. One of those is mixed in there. So Kylie is with Travis Scott, I think, and Kendall is now with Devin Booker. So I think she went from Blake Griffin to Ben Simmons to now Devin Booker. So I think the Suns are the ones who are cursed right now, which to be fair, they play the Lakers in the first round, which is a tough break for them. But I think the Suns have the curse right now. Well, we know how the Suns like to break their locker room curses, um, as uh, evident by some podcasts um, that I don't know if I should mention on this show. I mean, we are the Slump Buster. We do go a little lowbrow from time to time. Uh, I don't know if you remember their team bonding experience. Um, that was reported in the bubble as of uh, this past season. No, I don't know. Yeah. If that rings any bells? Uh, I, 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 I think I remember what you're talking about. I don't know how, how low brow you want to go, but I, I think I think I remember something in the back of my mind about what you're talking about. Well, here. it wasn't as low brow as that same girl on the Odell Beckham Jr. episode of their podcast, but um, it was it was pretty up there. It was a pretty wild story and. Hey, I remember the Suns won like eight straight games in the bubble. So if it works, it works. Now they got Chris Paul. So, I mean, I don't know if Chris Paul's down for, uh, you know, some of their activities, but, you know, I don't don't want to do that to Chris Paul. Chris Paul seems like an impossibly nice guy. Like he's got his kids in State Farm commercials with Sabrina Unescu now. Like I'm not going to do that to Chris Paul. But if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, please Google it. Just just Google. It's worth a uh, Google. Yeah. What do you even Google? Like Phoenix Suns Barstool video? I don't even know. Phoenix Suns. um, hmm. The password is orgy. That's where we're going with. That's where we're going with. Anyway, guys, uh, moving on from that, moving on from that, how, where do we even transition from that? Um, uh, <laughs> let's see. Should we actually talk about the Suns actually being relevant, though, as a team? I, I think that's uh, kind of a cool story. Like, honestly, CP3 goes to that team and suddenly they're over there, what, the two seed in the West? Now, that's yeah, and- uh, pretty damn impressive to me. Like, CP3 just goes to teams and suddenly they're playoff contenders. That, that Oklahoma City team from last year, they should have been at the bottom of the standings. In fact, I think the numbers bear it out what happened to them this season. And they made the playoffs, makes the playoffs with Houston, makes the playoffs with the Clippers, even made the Hornets in New Orleans relevant in their time. So I think CP3 is one of the most underappreciated talents in my lifetime. And I, I do got to give him some serious credit you know whenever I think about him in like my all-time player rankings as people are talking about Russell Westbrook as a top two point guard of all time I'm like well Chris Paul I feel like has done it in a different way but I feel in a higher level Chris Paul is one of the more fascinating stories of our lifetime. And one of the things I've talked about on our podcast recently is that the NBA is in a transition period right now. There's these players from, I guess, our time of late 2010s where you have LeBron, KD, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard. All these guys are starting to exit their primes. And then we have the younger generation entering their primes. Anthony Davis, Giannis. Joel Embiid, the Joker, 
Kawhi Leonard's kind of a tweener right now and Jimmy Butler's kind of a tweener, but they're kind of firmly in their primes. But then you just have Chris Paul, who's just this weird mercenary at 36 years old, who just goes from team to team to team and makes them instantly relevant. And one of my favorite stats that I saw is that Chris Paul would have had a 50-40-90 season, which is 50% shooting from the field, 40% shooting from three-point range, and 90% at the free throw line, which I think only two players did last year and four players would have done this year if you count him but he didn't get it only because of half court shots if he had taken his end of half end of quarter half court heaves out of his shot chart he would have been a 50 40 90 player and so chris paul while he definitely was not the mvp this year makes it so that they at least have another option other than devin booker Devin Booker's shot numbers are down this year, but his field goal percentage is up this year because teams have to respect Chris Paul as a scoring threat for the Clippers or for the Suns this year. Yeah, still thinking about Lob City a little bit, but um, <laughs> he might not the, the be the Suns, most valuable uh, player, but I think he's one of the most influential players on a team success. And I think that that uh, definitely is um, something that I really like. Um, just adding to his resume, um, just like what he's been able to do with these teams in the later part of his career, because I was not sold on a guy like Devin Booker. Like, I get it. The guy was a scoring machine, putting out lights out numbers, but I've seen so many. And I think this is a larger problem for like what I kind of don't really get into the NBA nearly as much as a lot of other analysts and a lot of other sports shows is I see the rise and fall of so many of these guys who just put on these ridiculous numbers and then just kind of fade off. Don't really do much in terms of like their actual success or winning important games or in the moments. Uh, the league's been obviously dominated by LeBron James, the Warriors, that combination for the last couple of years with no one really breaking into that tier. And um, it's nice to see a guy that just kind of, even though he doesn't have the prettiest stat lines in the world, like just every time he goes to a team, like you could just see the change is just so noticeable. It's so apparent in like how the culture kind of shifts around him. Um, and yeah, no, I think Devin Booker definitely we'll see how he benefits from this long term because obviously Chris Paul's future could be anywhere any number of teams in the next couple of years but I definitely do think that um, if Devin Booker can actually learn this season take it to next year yes he can be one of those top 10 stars for the next 10 years. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Although you did hurt one of my sensibilities when you were talking about the the transition of the stars, because I do think as great as LeBron is, as great as Kevin Durant is, as amazing as James Harden is, and as fun as Steph Curry was to watch this year, the best basketball player in the world wears 34 for the Milwaukee Bucks. That one I do have to throw out there, that the man at, at 26, 27 years old has established himself as the best bar none basketball player in the world and that is Mr. Giannis Antetokounmpo the Greek freak who clears out at the end of games at in the end of game one against the Miami Heat so Chris Middleton can hit game winner shots over Duncan Robinson but Giannis is one of those guys that he is going to be the face of this next generation he is the LeBron of the next generation the 2020s belong to him and with time he will then transition between himself and Luca and maybe Zion Williamson because Zion Williamson is incredible but those guys are the young ones who are going to end up coming for Giannis but of Jokic and Anthony Davis and all those guys Giannis is the man right now 
Well, I mean, I have nothing against Giannis, but I think definitely what's going to long-term sell his place in NBA history and his place among this uh, generation of talent is obviously him breaking into that championship tier. Uh, obviously, he hasn't even made it to a finals court yet at this point in his young, very young developing star career. If any year was to do it, it would be kind of the one where he's flying under the radar the most, right? Arguably, like, is there any chance you give them against a team like the Nets or even the 76ers who have always appreciated how their size seems to do a good job on a guy like Giannis? I have consistently said that there are five teams that can win the championship this year. The Clippers, the Lakers, the 76ers, the Nets, and the Bucks. And now I feel most confident in those three teams in the East more than I do the Clippers or the Lakers, even though I still think they're very good and have star players that can contribute big minutes. But you, you could toss up those three. I have no idea what's going to happen between the Sixers, the Bucks, and the Nets. Any of the three could win it. I think the 76ers, because they only have to go through one of them, that they don't have to beat the Bucks and the Nets. I think they're in a better position because they get, with, with apologies to Knicks and Hawks fans, they get to coast into the Eastern conference finals so i think that gives them infinitely a better chance because the the bucks and nets kind of have to beat each other up a little bit in the second round but yeah the bucks could do it i don't see why not i could i could see the bucks beating brooklyn and then going in against the 76ers and being favored in that series i think any of those three teams that you mentioned can can win the eastern conference and would probably be the favorites to win the finals especially if the utah jazz slip between the cracks and make it to the nba finals this year okay so with that said i'm not asking you to say who what you think is going to happen but would what would you like most to happen uh what's the finals outcome that would satisfy kyle ledbetter so this is difficult because last year, no, actually, so let's start by going back to May of 2019, when, as you mentioned, Giannis was kind of flying under the radar and they were the number one seed and he won his first MVP and they were up two games to zero on the Toronto Raptors with Kawhi Leonard. And then that game, that game three went to double overtime and the Raptors won and then they won game four and then they won game five. And then they won game six and the Bucs got bounced and the Raptors went on to win the championship. So from that point forward, I said, Kawhi and Giannis was so much fun. I want that rivalry to be a thing. And last year, both of them got bounced in the second round and just broke my heart, just broke my heart because last year the Bucks, the, the Clippers and the Lakers were the teams that were going to win the championship and the Lakers did win but they kind of got to coast through Denver and Miami to get there so the one I want to see personally the most is Giannis versus Kawhi but I'm not going to be sad if it's Kevin Durant versus LeBron and we get to watch that like Steph and LeBron in the first play in game was so much fun that I'm not going to be sad if it doesn't go that way but personally I want to watch Giannis versus Kawhi in the NBA finals I think most NBA media picks are definitely going to be that Nets Lakers dynamic obviously um, it would really establish whether or not Kevin Durant has some are even starting to say surpassed LeBron in terms of legacy. Like if he adds another ring to his like uh, trophy case, does that put him ahead of LeBron? I'm like, uh, I don't know. I mean, LeBron just kind of does everything. And that's why I think kind of like makes his place in NBA history so special. Um, whereas Kevin Durant, I, I guess one of the big questions is if he did win a title, does he, that validate his other two titles? Because there's still a lot of people and even a little bit myself included that may even discredit his Golden State titles a little bit. Hey, you went to a loaded team. You went to a team that didn't really even need you to get over the top. Obviously, they won 73 games the previous year. So does 
going to the Nets, going to a team that obviously has the elite pieces as James Harden and Kyrie Irving, one that he kind of worked worked a little bit he worked the strings a little bit of the nba media to make that stuff happen let's face it how does that kind of impact uh kevin durant in how you view him so i have done probably a half dozen or so podcasts on just the psychology of kevin durant because kevin durant is so fascinating as like a thought experiment because i have always felt and i still feel this way to the day two things to this day number one the warriors needed kevin durant to get over the cleveland cavaliers in 2017 i don't think that it was inevitable they were going to win those championships in 17 and 18 without kevin durant and two that 20 2017 finals was Kevin Durant surpassing LeBron James in terms of the best player in the world. He averaged like 34 and a half points in those four or five games in 2017 and won those two finals MVPs. So from 2017 until tearing his Achilles, Kevin Durant was the best basketball player in the world. And he's not that anymore. Giannis is kind of Giannis and Kawhi are up there. And LeBron is obviously very good all the time, except when he's uh, tearing a groin or got an ankle injury for the first time in his career. But I think Kevin Durant has been grossly underappreciated for those reasons about he got to the mountain and realized that people were still pissed that he joined the Warriors and it wasn't the validation that he thought he was going to get like yes you're going to be mad at me now that I joined the Warriors but I'm going to be amazing and win championships and be the player of this era and I'm going to get the validation of being the king of the mountain and after that third year in Golden State he didn't get any of it. He got very little of it, but he's also the guy who goes into the internet and starts looking at Twitter comments and Instagram comments. And and my favorite story of that comes from Ethan Strauss's book, where he listened to this very obscure Warriors podcast out of Oakland and then confronted the producer of the podcast when he had a media credential to one of their games and basically said, I hear everything. I listen to everything. I know everything you say about me. And that seems like just a crazy existence to be living in when you're Kevin Durant. And I don't know if Kevin Durant is happy or if he's found happiness in Brooklyn, but I think this championship is not so much like validation for Kevin Durant, more than validation for the rest of the people who, you know, unlike myself, haven't really come around on Kevin Durant yet. I think I think the Achilles injury forced us all to kind of look in the mirror a bit about like, wow, we kind of like tore this guy apart until he literally couldn't walk anymore. As like us as like Twitter and us as a sports media, like as sports media as a whole, like yeah, you could go down the list of like bigger outlets than us. We're, we're not making that big of an impact on, on whether or not Kevin Durant is happy or not. But hey, I mean, you said he chased down a small time Warriors podcast. You never know. He hears everything. <laughs> he sees everything. We see you, Kevin. Drop yes, those we, DMs. Maybe come on the pod. D- dispute me. I don't know. I mean, we, we see you, Kevin Durant. Probably, and... probably be a little cordial. I mean, if, if yes. we're being honest, uh, it's, you know, big, big talk uh, while you're not here. Um, you are a very big man and uh, your feet scare me. Honestly, if you've ever seen Kevin Durant's feet, they're the thing of some nightmares. His legs look like that oar behind you in your background right now. Like it is ridiculous how big and long those dudes' feet are. Like it is, yeah. it is scary. <laughs> it, it looks like almost like a Jimmy John's French bread. If you just kind of like need a good visual for what Kevin Durant's feet look like. I don't even know who crafts these shoes. Who is like Kevin Durant's shoe brand? 
Do we know that? So Kevin Durant is Nike. Nike? Uh, yeah. So just think that there are some poor children slaving away in another country to make these just monstrous shoes for Kevin Durant and only Kevin Durant. I'm yeah, just those, those size 22 shoes that have to be narrow, uh, they, they don't come very often. I don't, I don't think even if you're buying KD, what are they on, the KD 10s now? I'm not, I'm not a sneakerhead very much, but whatever signature KD shoe they're on now, I, I don't think they're coming in size 22 other than specially crafted for him. Do your feet look like a Subway sandwich? Try the new KDs. Yeah, I, I think if I were like fly fishing and I saw like Kevin Durant's feet flop out of the water, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw that. That, that Those feet are just ridiculously long. <laughs> if I was trying to be a banana for Halloween or something like that, and I wanted some banana shoot, I think that those would be a good fit. I think those would yeah, work. Yeah, by the way, you mentioned banana and I found that funny because Nikola Jokic, I made this joke on comical sports memes yesterday that he pulled up to a playoff game in Denver dressed in a bright yellow hoodie, kind of like the one I'm wearing here for people on YouTube and yellow shorts and yellow shoes. And it was something else. I made the joke that he looks like the guy from Curious George. And uh, it was something else in terms of Joe Kitch's outfit. And by the way, they lost game one to Portland because Damian Lillard is still that bad man. <laughs> I don't think losing Jamal Murray is going to help Denver's long-term playoff chances. Like I, I think obviously them having uh, MVP caliber talent like the Joker uh, will definitely help them get past Portland. Like I, I love Portland yes. and I love Dame, but they'll get past Portland. Rest assured, whether yeah. that's Portland, in five or Portland six Portland had games. a worse Portland had a worse defense than Brooklyn this year. Portland yeah. was worse than like Cleveland and Orlando in defense this year. Yeah, it's going to be the opposite of a gentleman's sweep. I think I, I could see very easily the Nuggets winning the next four games. Uh, yeah, that's just something so odd about like NBA fashion. I, I think the only player in the NFL that really lives up to the standard of like NBA fashion is Cam Newton. And he, he almost seems like a rarity. <laughs> Obviously, Russ Westbrook for years with some of the outfits he would put out there. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like if I was in that setting, what, what would be your style? Do you think you'd go like crazy over the top? Do you think you'd keep it a hoodies, like go Allen Iverson with it, kind of like keep it casual? Or do you think I, you're going I would all be, business? I would have some flair. I would have some flair. I'm not, I, I would definitely have some flair in my dressing. I, I think I would probably be closer to like a Clay Thompson where, you know, there, there's going to be some flannel in there, but it's going to be like, cut the sleeves off the flannel kind of like mm. kind of casual but let's keep it something interesting and something people haven't seen and, and maybe pull up in some retro jerseys and, and little things like that or I could just come in my Fernando Tatis jersey and rep the San Diego Padres all the time but uh, I think I would definitely like to put a little flair on it even if it's not like the, the fashion sense of a Cam Newton or an Odell Beckham or sneaky good in fashion I mentioned him a second ago Clay Thompson just he sneaky good in terms of fashion but i'd like to keep it a little bit creative <laughs> i know you, you're the professional here but i i would like to keep it a little bit like with some flair and flavor yeah i was gonna say like i think i might go with the nhl player approach just you know go like you know a nice custom suit you know maybe a little bit of something with like a pinstripe going down uh you know call me ranch because i be dressing you know <laughs> There is one thing. There's nothing cooler than guy on the team who buys 
15 custom suits and everyone walks in together in the same custom suit nothing cooler than when they do that i think that is that is one of the coolest things because that is that is like a, a send a message that you should fear us kind of thing and i i would be afraid of someone who dresses in the same custom suit for his entire team or or even better whenever they get the same custom suit for the rookies and it is something ridiculous because Hazing still exists, guys. Um, and in NFL, NBA, and MLB locker rooms, uh, you, you can expect to see it. Uh, it's a little bit of an old school approach, but you know we still have some old school managers in the game. Obviously, uh, Tommy Lasorda. Cheers to you. Wait, Tommy Lasorda. Why did I say Tommy, Tommy Lasorda? Tommy Tony Larusa. I, I got close my... enough. Yeah, Tommy. Yeah, yeah, Tommy, Tommy Lasorda. Lasorda. Yeah. Tommy Lasorda passed away a few months ago, but yes, Tony Larusa is still there. I'm glad you mentioned that. That whole Tony Larusa thing is so funny. It is all of. I it. mean, you know, hey, we, we just talked a bunch of basketball. We could get into some baseball things. I'm definitely more invested in this baseball season than I've been in the last few. I mean, I think baseball. When your team's not really in it, I'm, I hate to say it, it's kind of one of the hardest sports to really appreciate. I, as much as I love my Giants, and I really do love my Giants, those bad seasons in the middle that we've had, they were like... Yes, you, you're learning how being a Padres fan works because I spent my entire memorable childhood, my first memory of being a Padres fan was them missing the playoffs on the last day of the season in 2007. And they never made the playoffs until last year in my entire lifetime. So you were learning how it feels to be a San Diego Padres fan and uh, always remembering the names of terrible teams, but never expecting anything great. And even when you do expect something great, they will ruin your expectations. I thought you were about to say the 2010 season, because I was going to say, obviously I remember the 2010 season in very favorable light, obviously Uh, man last day, Jonathan Sanchez. Yeah, for people who don't know, the Padres had about a six-game lead in the division, and they just blew it in September, and the Giants ended up winning it last day of the season, and the Giants ended up winning the World Series. It was, uh, yeah, it was not great. I think even more so, I think it was a double-digit lead at one point in the standings. I want to say even if you go back to August, it was at least over 10 games because I, I really was, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, my Giants hadn't won anything at that point in my history of being a fan, going back to Barry Bonds. They hadn't really done too much meaningful outside of the 2002 World Series appearance to see them go on that magical Giants bullshit run that they did because I, I'll be honest. A lot of the Giants' success in that 2010, 2012, and 2014 season, a little bit of bullshit mixed in there. But you need a little bit to get lucky and to win some games. I mean, when you have Hunter Pence break his bat and the ball rolls down his bat three times in a game seven against the Cardinals, you know you got someone upstairs looking down on you. You know you got that kind of type of Tim Tebow-type love coming from upstairs. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. When, uh, who is the guy, was it Travis Ishikawa is hitting walk-off homers to send you to the World Series? You know, there's some bullshit going on there. But yeah, the, the, that Giants run was like magical 2010, magical 2014 mixed in with a 2012 season where they just dominated everybody in baseball. Oh yeah, that <laughs> was actually the one season out of that little dynasty. And uh, you know, three out of five, you can probably call it a dynasty. I know it's kind of odd because you oh, had those weird seasons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in baseball, three out of five is ridiculous because of how random the postseason format is like yeah the best team doesn't win the world series in baseball like it is so random three out of five is easily it's the dynasty of my lifetime yeah and when you give like the validation obviously buster posey winning the mvp i think that kind of like adds to that 2012 team um the, the weird thing though for them is obviously they had to come back from a 
2-0 deficit against the Reds, a 3-1 deficit against the Cardinals, and then they just run the Detroit Tigers out of town like easy. So that was a unique um, kind of type of team there. 2014 was all on the backs of Madison Bumgarner. No doubt about it. Like his, I, I think people still to this day consider his postseason run in 2014 the greatest postseason run by a starting pitcher in MLB history, which is just um, At the very least in our lifetime. In our lifetime, I I don't think there's anything that you can compare it to. Because he had over 50-plus innings, and then when you consider that that game seven, when he pitched the five innings, he did it on two days rest. And when you think about last year's World Series, where you have Blake Snell that can't even make it past the sixth inning, uh, that's just so uncharacteristic. Something that we might not really even see again with how baseball's current state is kind of moving um i saw you got lucky and got to go even to uh, the padres giants game from a couple weekends ago that's a really cool thing i still you know <laughs> regrettably i still haven't even been into our stadium i still haven't been into oracle ballpark and it's one of the buttes of baseball like the, the, when you talk about like the arenas of sports i think baseball has some of the best c- cathedrals in all of the sport yeah. landscape if I'm going to live in Northern California for a couple of years, at the very least, I have to go to one Giants game. I had to get to at least one Giants game if I'm going to be in Northern California. So it also happened to be that the Giants beat the Padres in the biggest loss of the Padres season by six runs. So um, that was that was a tough one to, to witness. But one eight in a row now, even without uh, Tatis or... Yeah. Will Myers or Eric Hosmer or Jerkson Profar or Jorge Mateo for about half those games. And the Dodgers over there winning, I believe, what, six in a row, five in a row themselves. The Giants, uh, obviously they dropped the last two to the Dodgers. That NL West is an amazing division this year. Just when you look at those three teams at the top, obviously the Giants have been the biggest surprise out of the two because the biggest storylines were the Dodgers repeating. They go out there, get NL Cy Young Award winner Trevor Bauer add him to the World Series rotation and then the Padres you know it's kind of funny when I think about like uh, what the criticisms are for a team like the Yankees and a team like the Dodgers oh they go out there they buy all their talent um you know I'm looking at the Padres team and you guys uh, definitely aren't afraid to spend some money um, they're definitely dropping coin on these big time free agent acquisitions whether that be going out there getting Blake Snell uh, what they went ahead and did with, like you mentioned, Eric Hosmer, bringing him in, um, and then a couple other guys. They do have yeah. their homegrown talent, but it's funny, out of the three right now, you would say that the most homegrown team is the Dodgers. And like that, just yeah. when you think about that early 2010s, that just uh, completely flipped it upside down. How is it the Dodgers are this good scouting guys? They bring up like a random guy and he's uh, an all-star. I think the Dodgers have done two things better than everyone else. And this goes back to the the Tampa Bay model because Andrew Friedman was the guy who built the 2008 Tampa Bay Rays, the ones that had like Joe Madden and David Price and Ben Zobrist and Evan Longoria. So they built that team with the lowest payroll in the AL and they lost in the World Series. And then he goes to the Dodgers. and And there's three things I think the Dodgers have done better than everyone else. First of all, when they have really good prospects, they don't trade really good prospects. And I have a question for you on the Giants later on that we'll get to in terms of really good prospects. So when they have Cody Bellinger, 
who they know is going to be amazing, they refused to offer him in any trades. When they traded for Machado, when they traded for you Darvish back in 2017 and 18, refused to put Cody Bellinger in trade talks, and then he ends up winning NL Rookie of the Year. Uh, same with Corey Seager. Uh, same with Gavin Lux, who's now up in the majors, and Dustin May, who just had Tommy John a few weeks ago. Um, they refuse to trade the prospects they know are really good. Two, they're really good at developing players. Like, they they get in the Justin Turners, totally changes swing, and now he's, you know, he's, he's going to hit 250 career homers with the Dodgers when they got him cut by the New York Giants, signed a minor league deal with the Dodgers, and he's been their star third base. Cut by the New York Giants. Wow. Was he like sorry. a starting center or uh, what what, would, what position would Justin Turner play with that beard? He's he's an offensive lineman for sure. Now he's a little too thin. Justin, Justin Turner, if he put on weight, Justin Turner could be a pretty good linebacker. I think that just, Justin Turner could be a damn good linebacker. Oh, with that beard, he'd look like a savage coming at you. Oh but, my uh, gosh. Yeah. Not, him to, rushing not, to, distract. <laughs> not to distract, not to distract you. You were making this great is what points. we do when, when I make enough. a mistake, like calling the New York giants, the New York Mets, then, or no calling the New York Mets, the New York giants. Then, it's, uh, they've, they've all kind of switched around over the years. Obviously the Mets colors based off the giants, based off the Dodgers, you know, a little NMLB history thrown in there. We'll throw that into the mix. Yeah, uh, San no. Francisco Giants used to be the New York Giants once upon a time, uh, but he did not come from San Francisco. He came from the Mets. And uh, mm-hmm. the other one is Max Muncy. Max Muncy being a guy who was cut by the Oakland Athletics, out of baseball for a whole year, signed a double-A deal with the Dodgers, and hit 30 homers his first year in the majors with the Dodgers when he barely made the, the opening day roster. So they're good at developing talent and, and reforming players that don't have value. And the third thing, they've got more money than everyone else, and they know when to make a Mookie Betts-type move. They're very strategic. They don't always spend the big money. When they trade for you, Darvish, it's only for two months. They're not going to give you, Darvish, the long-term contract. They're just going to use him as a mercenary. When they trade for Manny Machado, yeah, they would have liked Manny Machado back, but they weren't going to pay $300 million for it. But when they got the chance to get Mookie Betts at a discounted rate – and all they had to do was take on David Price's terrible contract and trade, you know, Alex Verdugo, who's looking all right, and, and Jeter Downs, who is one of their lower prospects, but is now really good. Uh, they made the move very strategically for when they went and got Mookie Betts. So to your point about the Padres, the Padres have new ownership. And the new ownership for the Padres is more willing to spend money on Will Myers, Eric Hosmer, Manny Machado, give Fernando Tatis a $340 million contract and trade for you Darvish and the 60 million he has left on his deal. So yes, I don't know if the Padres are trying to become the new Dodgers or if they're just trying to maximize this winning window while it's open, but I have a great baseball team and I have never been able to say that in my entire lifetime. Hey, uh, do the Miami Marlins fans, I know there's not many of them, but do the Miami Marlins fans complain about what they did in the 2003 season to acquire all these talent, spend big and win a title? No, because yeah, titles are forever. Titles are what it's really all about. So if you go all in on one year, that's all that matters. And, you know, obviously the Padres have a great base when you have a young superstar like Fernando Tatis on your team bare minimum you're going to be able to sell tickets for the length of his contract unless he doesn't fall off the face of the earth which doesn't seem likely he's a fun guy either way he takes the sport seriously and i think that that's important 
and now it just uh, obviously going to be like eventually when these other guys contracts start to get a little bit um, a little bit cranky I mean even in the early part of Manny Machado's contract I can say you probably don't think that he's really necessarily lived up to his expectations right well it's weird because this year he's been one of the most disappointing players on the team but they have the best record in baseball but Last year, he made his money worth because it was only a 60-game season, but he finished third in the MVP last year behind – no, he finished second in the MVP behind Freddie Freeman, and I think uh, Bryce Harper was third, but it was also a short season. Was that – no, because I could swore Ronald Acuna was up there. Acuna was up there too. I may, Maybe I need to do some research. I'm pretty sure it was the two Braves, you're right, and um, obviously Mookie Betts, you know. That's right. So that's American League. So here's the NL MVP vote. Okay, yes. So here's what the final votes came out to be. Uh, Freddie Freeman ran away with the award. Mookie Betts was second. Machado, three. Tatis, four. Juan Soto, five. And then then there's just some smaller people who got like little votes in there, like uh, Marcelo Zuna and Bryce Harper and Corey Seager and Trevor Bauer, just smaller, like fourth place <laughs> votes. But th- that was the five that you mentioned was uh, Freeman, Betts, Machado, Tatis, and uh, Juan Soto. So- I'm actually surprised I remember that just off top. I'm not going to even lie. Like, I mean, I, <laughs> I enjoyed for what it was that 60 game season, but maybe this is where I am a little bit of an old head. I actually have really liked this 162-game season to this point. I've liked having baseball back because I, I think it is one of the quirks of the sport, it being a marathon as opposed to a short sprint. So, you know, like it, it's nice to have May baseball back. It's nice to have April games. It's nice to be able to go to a minor league baseball game. And that's in my plans here in the next couple of weeks, you know? Just something yeah. to get out of the house. I, I think that's one of the cool things about like – baseball especially live baseball games uh you were actually had a question about the giants though though i just want to go back to you mentioned as far as their like team building you were talking about the dodgers oh yes i do first point i was going to say on that is that i like the long season because i can scream my four favorite words in the world which is regression to the mean is that teams that look really good right now will regress to the mean and as great as your giants are i expect that they will be about four games out with five to play in september uh as good as they look right now because uh the fact that that anthony d sclafani looks like a cy young award winner i don't think is going to last uh mm-hmm. very long here but so you know about joey bart right yeah catching he prospect is- uh the heir apparent to buster posey yeah joey bart Hasn't really had a great deal of playing time. I know has been optioned back and forth here too, which is a little disappointing. You would like a guy like him to just get in the big leagues, get some bats and stay. You know, I'm interested to see what the long-term plan is for Farhan Zaidi. So here, here's the theoretical situation I'm proposing here, because this is a question of how much you believe in the Giants right now. I imagine your answer will be different later, but you could give up Joey Bart right now. And in exchange, you would get, three years of Max Scherzer would you make the exchange right now god bless here I think when you just (laughs) kind of like think about one of my answers I've already given you it's all about winning titles right as nice as it was to win in 2010 as nice as it was to win in 2012 as pleasant as it was to win in 2014 winning one more in my lifetime would really just make me whole and even then I don't think I'd be satisfied do you think the Yankees fans are satisfied with 27 rings no they're going for 28. They've been going yeah, for 28 for quite a while. In the last 25 years. They've won one in the last 25 years. That's why they're not true. Satisfied. True. <laughs> uh, fair, 
fair point. But I, you know, I'm not going to lie. It is like one of those bad nightmare dreams to go to bed at night and think, wow, could we go on like a Cubs titleist route? So every opportunity that the Giants have to win a title, I say they got to take it. And you mentioned it. Yes. Can Discofani hold up? You know, he's probably going to regress. Can Alex Wood keep pitching at this level? Gossman, uh, you know, these guys were cast offs by other teams. And I do think that if Farhan was kind of a stock trader and he was investing in just kind of like daily stocks, I think he'd be one of the best, honestly. What, what some of the baseball decisions he's been able to find, some of the guys that are just literally off the scrap heap, like picking up your Scrimsy's grandkid, uh, picking up some of the pitchers they've added. Um, Donovan Solano is Donovan crazy. Solano, like that dude was a nobody, and now he's amazing. Dubon, like literally all of Darren Ruff, you know, all these guys that are actually contributing to this team in a positive light. And I don't even like necessarily their manager. I, coming off Bruce Bochy to Kapler, is, it seems like a drop off personally mm-hmm. I, I think when I, I think about those dynamics and if you told me a Max Scherzer for three years knowing what type of level of pitcher Max is knowing that he'd be in one of the best pitching ballparks in baseball in Oracle field um, I, I think if you have an opportunity to do it as much as I would love to see Joey Bart's career develop over time I think you have to go all in. And I know that kind of goes opposite of what the Dodgers are doing, keeping their prospects, building those guys up. But when uh, I think about the Giants' um, success too in the early part of the 2010s, you think about some of the trades they made to win those titles. Marco Scudero, get rid of um, Colby Culberson. You know, like um, when you think about um, Tim Anderson traded away for Freddie Sanchez. Heath Embry trading for Jake Peavy, you know, these guys that just contributed and made the Giants a World Series team. And there's no doubt about their impact. Hunter Pence, uh, we traded Tommy Joseph, who was supposed to be, again, another uh, big time catching prospect for us, had a big thumper written all over him, potentially moved Buster Posey to first. And he never really panned out. But you know what? Hunter Pence did for us in those couple of years. So I think, you know, proven products. I mean, we talked about it with like the draft. How many of these guys are going to be like, proven products in the NFL, you know, you just give me a guy that has a career resume that I can look at. No, I agree with you on that idea is for guys like, because the San Francisco Giants, they spend money like the Dodgers, but for the past few years, they, they've kind of been retooling and rebuilding. And this is what you have to do. I've always laughed that they still have Brandon Belt rolling out at first base, but you know what? he's actually really good this year. And it's kind of weird to see that career revitalization. And like, I've seen like rumors that they might be in on Carlos Correa this off season and like trying to, you know, build out an actual winning roster for next year and, and try and see what this year becomes. But I think Joey Bart, everything I've been told about Joey Bart is that he's awesome. And he was for those losing seasons you talked about that were really hard to sit through. He was the prize that you got in exchange for those losing seasons. He was the number two pick in the draft. He was the the best batting prospect. I think the first pick was Casey Mize that year. So he was the best batting prospect in the draft. He's this guy that's been developing for the Giants. Is like, mm-hmm. this is the future of San Francisco. And uh, this is the thing I, I grapple with with the Padres all the time because we have this gigantic farm system right now. And, you know, we're sitting on Mackenzie Gore and we're sitting on J- C.J. Abrams and we're sitting on Robert Hassel. And I look up and I'm like, 
where are they going to fit in the starting rotation? Like, and the reason I bring up Scherzer is because he's going to be like, when, when the trade deadline rolls around in a couple months, he's the big name that's going to be uh, like the Machado or the U Darvish, the big fish that might be out there because he's a, uh, a free agent at the end of the year. And it looks like Washington is going to be worse than the Miami Marlins this year. So. Yeah. I, I think w- the problem too, for the giants, as much as Farhan's done a great job of rebuilding their farm, I still don't, don't think that they necessarily have the trade assets that a lot of these other competing teams will have, because like I mentioned with what the Dodgers have been able to do, they still just have a stockpile of prospects that they can just throw out there to anyone that even if you told me the giants throughout Joey Bart, the Dodgers have three more guys that it feels like they could just like throw out there to outbid them. Um, you'd have to, then you have to get into the point. Well, do I give up Joey Bart and Helio Ramos? No, then you're, you're really putting yourself in a tough position that is really going to be hard. I, you know, it sucks because I would love the giants to have a premier um, hitting prospect come up because we haven't had a homegrown talent really come out in quite a while. Brandon Bell and Brandon Crawford, or our last two big time hitters to come out of our farm system. When you think about um, Buster Posey, he obviously had his rook, big rookie year. Uh, Belt and Crawford came out in 2011, but um, since yeah, then it's kind of been a, a wasteland. Yeah, I mean, you know, most of the guys who are having success aren't really like our guys. You know, they're usually yeah. they're guys who were in the Rule Five draft or just sitting out there on waivers. I, again, I, as much as, again, your Scrumsky's grandkid has been a great story for us. Uh, he's 29, 30. Like he, he's an old guy. He's an old prospect. So they do need to get younger. They do need to get a Fernando Tatis. They do, do need to find their Corey Seager, their Cody Bellinger. And I, I think when you talk about them pursuing people in free agency, um, a common theme for the San Francisco Giants has been um, we're just left at the podium uh, we didn't get the rose as their former GM Bobby Evans or used to say too. whenever uh, Bryce took his talents elsewhere or John Lester decided to go to Chicago. It's just hard when you consider like added factors that I'm sure you're well aware of. Obviously, California income tax compared to others. That is a factor, too, uh, particularly in the Bay Area as well. And um, when you look at just where the Giants were to one of the worst hitting ballparks, which obviously I think has changed because of the way the game has changed. Now everyone's hitting for power these days. Uh, Brandon Goffman, Except this so year think, for some reason where the Seattle Mariners, I think their team batting average is like 190 this year. So, yeah, uh, I mean, they're not hitting much, but they are still hitting it hard. Um, they yeah. had to really nerf the balls. Apparently is the phrase I keep hearing too. Obviously we've seen six no hitters, uh, which is, <laughs> is it six or seven now? Cause it didn't Kluber throw one the other day. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's six and you can make a case. And I guess this is another sports debate. Madison Bumgarner, seven inning, no hitter. Count it. I'm not going to not count it. I'm not going to be the person who tells Madison Bumgarner his no hitter doesn't count that man. That man just goes in the off season and chops wood in the middle of North Carolina. Like I'm not going to be the person who tells him his no hitter doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. Worst case or sorry probably best case honestly is he just spits a snot rocket at you that's probably the only thing that happened you're talking to a man who's so tough he will date someone with the same name you ever hear about that story madison bumgarner dated a madison bumgarner that is uh i don't know is that a kink thing or is that just like he is just weird luck there but yeah there are a few things i know about madison bumgarner yeah 
And it's only weird if you put out one of those mirrors like American Psycho and just was looking at himself the entire time while it was happening. That or would like really the Alex Rodriguez race, one. Or like Alex Rodriguez kissing the mirror and then taking a photo of it. I think that one, uh, that would be the same kind of vibe. But I know Madison Bumgarner, World Series, chops wood, dated a Madison Bumgarner and, and got hurt doing, I think, dirt biking. And then that kind of effectively ended his Giants career. <laughs> You know, he had still a little bit of success here and there towards the end. He still, I always told myself too, he was going to throw a no hitter. He was always flirting with it constantly. And now it sucks because his only career no hitter is this weird asterisk mark one compared to others. But, oh, well, you know, he still got it in our books at least. But, you know, speaking on that no hitters thing, yeah, no. Like, what do you think is going to be the final total we end up with? I mean, we're in May and we have the six and a half. Uh, if we count Madison Bumgardner and say seven, I'll go nine. Um, because this is how these numbers kind of work. Like, probabilities kind of throw people for a run. And while I do think there's been issues with like the dead ball this year, which they, and I'll be admitted, they did change the ball in the lace, the, the level of the laces. And I don't know the exact words behind it, but they did admit that they, they tried to decrease the amount of offense with that. But people also the like, as a nerdy, as a, as a nerd in terms of this analysis thing, people don't realize that just because someone is, someone throws a no hitter yesterday doesn't make it any more or less statistically likely that a no hitter will be thrown tomorrow. I think that we're just having a strange run of no hitters in a row. And uh, I think that it'll, uh, it'll slow down and we'll go two months without a no hitter. I think that that's a, a very real possibility in the near future. So I'd say there's probably two or three left in the tank, probably you know, the rest of the season. Kudos to the managers on these teams though, for letting their guys roll. Obviously we, I joked about the Blake Snell game pulled in the sixth inning of a world series do or die. And yet you have managers who are actually letting their guys go for a no hitter, which is a personal accomplishment. You know, I know we always downplay personal accomplishments in some of these sports, obviously, uh, you know, Mercedes uh, with his uh, home run personal accomplishment. We've kind of danced around that one too. I came out and I, I say my only pro problem with it is just you're attacking a guy on your team, you know, very publicly. Like if, if he did it behind the scenes, I guess I would really had no problem because even though I have my disagreements with the unwritten rules um, as a whole, I, I think they are game phased out. I, I could see where a guy like Tony LaRussa, and we do have to give respect to who Tony LaRussa is. He is a hall, he is a hall of fame coach. He a hall of fame manager won a couple world series. So he knows a little bit what he's talking about. Um, I, I guess my thing on it, and this goes for any sport, really, if you don't like it, stop me, you know? <laughs> I, okay. I do want to laugh at Tony LaRusso a bit. Cause I was laughing at that story last week. It's, this is kind of a bad joke, but it's like Tony LaRusso has just gotten drunk and he's driving and he's passed out in his car at 5.00 AM. And he's been pulled over by the police. Like he was one day before being hired by the Chicago White Sox. So we're seeing him parked in the wrong side of the road. And then when the car crash happens, we're surprised that the car crash happened. Like we knew this was going to happen when Tony Larusa, 78 year old Tony Larusa, becomes a manager of a bunch of 20 something year old black and Latin guys. And so 
it's just, we knew this was going to happen. It happened with Yerman Mercedes. I thought it was going to happen with Tim Anderson. And then Tim Anderson came out after and said, like, he he's basically like the dad and we're the children and we don't listen to the dad. And I'm like, oh, okay. So they're just not listening to Tony LaRussa at all. This is a total train wreck. And it also came a week after the Tony LaRussa did not know the extra inning rule about runners on second base. Mm-hmm. And so he put their star closer, Liam Hendricks, on second base to do the, the pinch runner thing in the extra innings. But he didn't realize that pitchers don't have to do it. He could have put Jose Abreu, the guy who got out before the pitcher, in that spot. By the way, he plays in the American League, too. So he's also just thrown away his DH. And he put his closer out there to run the bases and then didn't realize. He's like, oh, no, yeah, I, I didn't know that we, we could put Jose on second base instead of our star closer and have him run the bases. So Well, that is embarrassing, and that's definitely going to be a little bit of a uh, thing that people kind of hold against it. But, again, respect, you know, Tony Russo, he's done this for a long time. The White Sox are relevant this year. They are a contending team. There's a long season. They're having these disagreements in May. Who knows? Maybe they can move past it. As Tony Larusa put it, you know, some of his players, they have lockers. He has an office. And we all have had disagreements with our bosses over time. So it just, you know, I think, you know, if this is a mainstream public profession. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's why you've we're also, able to pick it apart a little bit more. You've also brought up the funniest part of all of this is that the White Sox have the best record in the American League right now, which is... They're a fun team. That's the thing. They're a fun team. So it's kind of like when you look at that dynamic, one of the most fun teams in baseball with this curmudgeon of a manager, but maybe it works. Who knows? Maybe this is... If the White Sox win the World Series this year, do you think we'll give a damn about this little headline in May? I think... Wow, that's a good question. Um, I think that the White Sox can actually win the World Series because I keep I keep trying to go through the American League and every year I go through like I'm going to like preview baseball and, and learn about what has changed in the offseason and who's going to be the big teams. And for the past five years, it's just always in the American League, Yankees, Astros. I, and this year was the same thing. I came up and looked at the rosters. I'm like, yep, Yankees, Astros. Those are the two best teams. But now the White Sox are trying to invade that Yankees, Astros uh regime at the top of the American League. Tampa Bay did it last year too when they beat the Yankees in five games then beat the Astros in seven games and went to the World Series but maybe the White Sox are that team this year to to finally take down the Yankees and uh, the Houston Astros. I mean so much parody in baseball you alluded to it when we were talking about the Giants and their kind of dynasty as well Um, you know can the Dodgers repeat Um, that's been one of the big things Uh, when you look at the Dodgers like the fact that they didn't just kind of like blow it up after the world series. In fact, they kept adding, it's hard not to look at them and think they're the world series favorite as we sit here today. Like even with the competitiveness in the NL West, I'm sorry to say it. I still feel like the Padres just feel like little brother in that matchup. Yeah. You won't hear it from me though. You you won't hear me ever say it, but uh, isn't it cool that the three best teams in the national league are all in the same division and they're going to play each other 19 times in the season, even though, I don't think the Padres and Giants play each other until September, but it's such a weird uh, thing. Like the fact that we didn't have a Dodgers Giants series till this weekend. Yeah. And baseball is very strategic about when they're putting these Padres Dodgers series together. So I don't know if you noticed this the first time around, but the two times they put the Padres against the Dodgers in April, it was the weekend after the final four had concluded. So there was no sporting events 
and then the second one was Oscars weekend. So they the, the MLB went head to head with the Oscars with that Padres Dodgers game that was like seven to one Dodgers and the Padres came back. So they're being very smart about when they put the Padres and Dodgers on national television to try and generate viewer interest. I think they play again in June, um, like the, the close to the last week in June. But yeah, it, it's been interesting to see the Padres and Dodgers rivalry. But of course, San Diego has an inferiority complex. And, and anyone who's grown up in San Diego understands this is that we are the little brothers to Los Angeles. Los Angeles has the cool stuff and we're the sleepy beach town. Like as someone who who born and raised in San Diego, everyone kind of understands that inferiority complex a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I, it doesn't help when you lose one of your NFL franchise, your only NFL franchise to the town up north, right? Or is it yeah, up north? Or is, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's up north about three hours. Okay. It's about, about three hours up the, up the uh, I-5 freeway. Lost track of California geography. I haven't been out there in a minute, but you know. I'm... Yeah, understandable. Yeah, but of course, yeah, San Diego lost the, the Chargers there. The Clippers, technically, if you go back to like my, my father and my grandfather's generation, like the Clippers left out for Los Angeles and Los Angeles is Hollywood. Like Los Angeles has like Hollywood Boulevard and downtown LA and you know, movies and, and flashing lights and all just a bigger city. And San Diego is like the eighth largest city, but a lot of it is like cool beaches and surfing and military and Comic-Con. Yeah. And Comic-Con. Yeah. But even Comic-Con was uh, back in 2017, there was a huge debate about Comic-Con going to Los Angeles. It was a negotiating tactic to try and build a bigger convention center. So even that was about to get shipped out to Los Angeles. Yeah. Like, ah, man, it's always tough losing your team. I don't know. I don't know if we have enough time to even say like losing your team, Oakland A's to the Las Vegas, uh, you know, yeah. a feeling that Oakland's kind of grown familiar with there. Well, ba- baseball wants to get that expansion team in there. And so they want to, they want to push it forward on this Oakland and Tampa Bay situation where they, they want to figure out if those teams are going to move so they can uh, decide who gets an MLB expansion team. Where do you want them? I want Vegas for the A's. So for the athletics, I think, I think the athletics are probably going to end up. Well, this is, gosh, this is a tough question. So we've done a podcast on this when that, that weird story came out about Las Vegas A's. Is that a thing? So they've got about a $980 million stadium that they want to build in Oakland and the, the money would be repaid with taxes generated from the stadium but they need public money in advance. And the pandemic kind of threw that for a loop. And the city of Oakland doesn't want to vote on it yet because they're in the middle of the pandemic. But baseball wants, because of the pandemic too, baseball wants to start doing expansion because if they do two expansion teams at two and a half billion dollars each for someone to pay for an expansion team, that would be about 5 billion in extra revenue for baseball. So they want to do expansion but they need to figure out the Oakland and Tampa Bay stadiums first. So I, I don't, I don't really, I don't think I care as much whether Oakland goes to Vegas or stays in Oakland, but I think if they go to Vegas and if Tampa Bay like does the weird, like Montreal slash Tampa Bay thing, I think Nashville's going to get an MLB team. And I think Oakland might get an expansion team, but also maybe Portland would get an expansion team in there. I think those are probably the most likely options. I think Oakland has unfortunately shown a non-committal relationships to their sports teams. 
So mm-hmm. if you told me there was no sports teams in Oakland, I don't know how much I'm really shedding a tear. And I, I'm sorry, any Oakland based fans, but mm-hmm. I, I think when you just kind of like, you'd probably even agree based off the state of the Coliseum in recent years, um, obviously the A's have just been trapped there for the longest time. And the Raiders, they, you know, they got a better deal. They got a better deal. And when you look at that stadium that they got in Vegas, uh, you can't begrudge them for wanting to move on. And then you look at what the Warriors did too, moving across the Bay made sense. It made sense from having a newer stadium, having these uh, stories of rats running around and going back to Moneyball, paying out of vending machines and doing all this, you know, like, and especially too, when you look at the success of an Oakland A's franchise, I mean, it's not like they're, one of the worst teams in baseball and haven't been relevant for years. They they're a good team. They win. They bring in fan interest. So mm-hmm. the fact that they haven't been kind of met halfway on this and yeah, you could say like maybe they rushed it, but you know, they've been talking this for decades. It's not well, like it's just thrown at the point. Yeah. yeah. It's ironic that Oakland and Tampa Bay, the two franchises that have like the, the least spending power in baseball. I know Oakland's owner is richer than most. And there's this interesting thing between that, that Oakland's not happy about, but it's the, the fact that the teams that spend the small market money are the smartest ones and that they've been engulfed in these stadium battles for years is it's kind of ironic, isn't it? Like Oakland pioneered Moneyball and Tampa Bay mastered it. And now these two franchises are the ones that might be ready to move out. And I think Oakland, different than like the Chargers and the Rams leaving, I think Oakland, again, I'm speaking for Oakland here. I think they kind of get it. Like if Vegas is going to pay $2 billion for a totally like gambling money funded stadium, like the, the Raiders didn't have to spend a dime to build that stadium. And the Warriors are going to get the last good plot of land along the San Francisco Bay to build a totally privately funded stadium. Well, Oakland just can't compete with that. So they, they kind of like, yeah, we get it. Like it, we, we can't compete with that. And we know that Oakland is becoming gentrified and other difficult things that, you know, or, or I need more nuance and information to discuss like yeah. in, in depth. But yeah, I think Oakland to a point kind of understands that this is where it's at. And I don't know if they want to spend taxpayer money on the Oakland stadium because it's even if it's going to be repaid through taxes generated by the ballpark, I think it's a, it's a tough sell, especially at the start of the pandemic. And I think, I think ultimately it makes sense that they'll leave because they're just running out of time and baseball really wants to start expansion. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting if you're one of these cities getting talked about, but it must be an interesting side of the coin to be on the cities where you're talking about a team (laughs) leaving you. Um, well, yeah. as someone as someone with that type of experience growing up in San Diego and perfect uh, guest, perfect topic Jan- to run. And on uh, January 15th, 2017, when all of our hearts were broken and uh, we threw eggs at the Chargers team facility. Um, uh, Probably shouldn't incriminate yourself. That's vandalism. Oh, no, not Kyle. me. Not me personally. Oh, okay. No, I, no, of course not. Uh, no, you I look like an school. egg thrower. You look like one. I, I, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. Can I offer sure. you an egg in these trying times? <laughs> an egg to throw at Dean Spanos's head would be uh, would be very good. But yeah, the, the Chargers, someone who, who gave up his Chargers fandom after that fact and uh, feels much happier and secure, more secure in their life because he doesn't root for a loser. <laughs> um, I think that, yes, it, it's tough on a city to lose a team, especially for San Diego, where San Diego has surfing, but so do other places. And they have military, but so do other places. 
San Diego's identity, like a lot of these smaller cities and sleepy beach towns, a lot of it comes from the football team and the baseball team. That's why it's so cool that the Padres are one of the highest selling teams in baseball right now in terms of merchandise, in terms of selling out every Padres game. They can't even sell single game tickets because they only have season tickets right now for, you know, 15,000 people. It's so cool to see. And there's this like a giant mural in my backyard, like right down the street from where I live, there's like this 20 foot Tatis mural now, like it's so cool to see that San Diego has a team that is nationally relevant and they can all rally around it like they did with the Chargers. Yeah. With that said, Sacramento, Orlando, buckle up. You're next. (laughs) Maybe Sacramento. Sacramento's got that triple A team right now. So I think that would be, uh, that'd be cool as as Sacramento's right a little bit down there, a little bit North from where I am. Oh, no, no. I was saying like, I I think the Kings, you know, the magic, they need a, I don't know. I, it feels like those guys. Uh, so Sacramento, Sacramento is an amazing story. Sacramento has their new stadium in a 30 year lease because they moved to Seattle. They had the paperwork signed to move to Seattle and they backed out of the deal in 2014 because the, the fans in Sacramento rallied to get that new stadium built. That is now again, like about 15 miles North that way. But so are the it's, Kings a sleeping giant then? Is that what we're saying? Like in terms of Well, no, base? they're totally irrelevant. As a basketball team, no, they're totally irrelevant. No, they, they're the new New York Knicks. They're the worst team in the NBA that's actually, actively trying to win. No, they're, they're terrible, but they are going to stay in Sacramento. That we know with 100% certainty. They will be terrible in Sacramento for the next 25 years. <laughs> All right, well... Kyle, we're, we're obviously coming towards the end here. So, I mean, it's crazy. Actually, you know, we talked about, we started off talking football is king. Football leads all this discussions on a general sports show. And we spent a, basically over an hour talking basketball and baseball. But I do want to get in one quick NFL story. Again, one of the subjects that we kind of danced around, Julio Jones. He's the big talk of the town. Obviously a big content point for us here. And you said you believe that he will not be traded. How strong are you in that conviction? I mean, I don't know anything. Let's put that first and foremost. I don't know anything about what's actually going to happen, but it, it, it runs counter to what the Falcons are trying to do. Unless they're going to trade Matt Ryan with him, but it, it just, it doesn't look like the Falcons have a plan. And that's the part that makes it kind of sad. Like if you're a fan of the Detroit Lions, you should be happy. It looks like they have genuine competence in the front of their organization. They're, they're trading. Yes, kneecap biter looks like he at least has a plan. They've traded all of their star players. They're going for a top draft pick next year. They're going to, if Jared, if they're going to suck anyways, at least let Jared Goff play in an Anthony Lynn offense and be allowed to throw the ball 20 yards down the field. So see what you have there. Get those extra draft picks. Like draft an offensive lineman with your first draft pick in Panay Sewell. Like you at least look like you have organizational competence. I look at the Falcons with a new head coach in Arthur Smith, which the hiring is fine. I understand what they're trying to do. I was just a little confused when they made the hire and it was announced because I felt like it, it ran counter to what their roster looked like right now. And you obviously have a new GM coming over from, I believe, the Saints, if I remember correctly. But you've got a new GM, a new coach, and they took Kyle Pitts with the first pick, who I think is like totally awesome. And, you know, I even if I would have picked Justin Fields, I think that it's going to work out very well for them. It's a Kyle bias. Yeah, just, just a little bit there. Yeah, just 
Kyle Pitts, I was making this joke throughout the process of the Bengals, which is just the Bengals fandom had a civil war between Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase, and then pulling up in his alien spaceship was Kyle Pitts ready to join the war. But then they ended up taking Pitts before then, and then went Jamar Chase. Um, Kyle Pitts is just a weapon at this point. Like his position should just say weapon, but he's going to, he's going to be a part blocking tight end for Mike Davis and you know, I just, to the point on the Falcons, what does trading Julio Jones accomplish at this point? If you want to run two wide receiver, two tight end sets like they did in Tennessee with Arthur Smith, understandable, but why do you want Matt Ryan then? Why do you want Matt Ryan to play at 36 and be there for two more years under contract? I guess they don't have any other option at this point, but it just, it runs counter. I guess Kyle Pitts can be a rebuilding piece, but I think it runs counter to what they're trying to do if they if they trade Julio Jones for less than like an offer they can't refuse. If someone's going to give you a, a first round pick and a player for him, you, you can't say no. At a certain point, like with Jamal Adams last year with the Jets, I don't think the Jets intended to trade Jamal Adams. I think the Seahawks just offered two first round picks and a third rounder. And I think like Barcavius Mingo was in that trade or something. But yeah, Barcavius Mingo. A couple first round picks for a safety. It's kind of a easy yeah. yeah. Can I say yes faster? How, how does this as, work? As good, as good as Jamal Adams is, and I don't think the Jets will see a player at that position better than him for the next 15 years. They got an offer they couldn't refuse and ultimately it helped them get Zach Wilson. It was the right move for the Jets to make at the time because you cannot, you can't turn down two first round picks from the Seahawks for Jamal Adams. So same thing with Julio Jones. If you get an offer, you can't refuse take it but other than that there's no problem walking into camp with julio jones next year even if he wants out if he wants to make a stink of things that changes it a little bit like if he's ready to make things ugly and he's like dead set on leaving atlanta that changes the equation but i don't think that's the case right now at least the reporting suggests that that's not the case right now that he like desperately wants to leave the falcons i think the falcons are seeing what they can get for him I mean, if you looked at the a, the NFC South uh, and you told me, can the Falcons realistically compete? I, I feel like Carolina is still trying to figure things out. The Bucks we know, are loaded. The Saints are in a state of chaos, obviously, now with Drew Brees retired. So mm-hmm. if you gave me a line, lineup that featured Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley, uh, Mike Davis, a serviceable back, or serviceable back you know, I think that's a team that can compete, at least offensively. We saw that one of their big fallbacks was their defense last year. Can that uh, continue to develop? I mean, they got a little bit better towards the end of last year, which has been a constant theme for the Falcons. They seem to get better at the end of the last two years. Um, can they do that from the start, not start one and seven, one and eight, really utilize, like you said, the couple good years of football that I think Matt Ryan does have left. I feel like we always constantly kind of just, forget about Matt Ryan as like one of the better quarterbacks over the last uh, 10 years in the league, just because I mean, let's face it. He was an MVP, you know, he's been to multiple NFC championship games. I feel like kind of like in that Chris Paul thing, we were talking about the start of the podcast. I feel like Matt Ryan's career is going to be very underappreciated when he's gone. And I, I feel as though he still has got at least one more playoff run in him. I don't know how deep of a playoff run, but I believe he has one more playoff run in him. Um, He just needs to have the right uh, scheme fit. Um, Scheme is really what has made Matt Ryan's career when you talk about that Shanahan offense in 2016. Can Arthur Smith be able to devise something similar 
obviously surround him with the best weapons you have. So like you said, does it make sense to trade Julio? Not really. Not really with given the moves that you made in this year's draft, getting Kyle Pitts and adding him to the roster. Um, and, you know, for an offer like a second and a fourth when you can consider relative value, no. And unless there's secret stuff going on behind the scenes there, mm-hmm. um, I, I could see Julio being a guy that wants to be the highest paid wide receiver consistently at nauseam because I know a couple years ago he did kind of make a mini sting. No, no one really kind of, it kind of went under talked about, but he mm-hmm. did kind of demand a newer contract. Um, I think it's just because Julio kind of, when he does it, he does it in the nicest way. He doesn't do it in an Antonio Brown style way, but he, he does care about his money. Uh, let's not make any like, no, he was very polite here, about folks. it. You are correct. Yeah. He, yeah. he was very polite when he's like, Hey, I know I have two years left on my contract, but can I please renegotiate my contract? He, he was very nice about it. And the Falcons, that's a good way to do business because Arthur Blank is different than most owners in that way, in terms of the way that he, at the very least, gives the appearance of doing business for the Falcons. It looks like they do things for better or worse differently than a lot of teams do. So he's extremely loyal. He's ex- extremely transparent. And he's like, at least from what I've gauged, he's someone who's like, was very open. Like, I'm going to let my football people make the football decisions like we could trade Matt Ryan we could trade Julio Jones I'm going to let the football people I hire make the football decisions which is I hear that I'm like that is excellent ownership that is exactly what I want to hear from my team if I'm rooting for them is that the the owner's going to let football people make the football decisions and he's going to step back well I think about an owner like Jed York Uh, Jed York after the Harbaugh years um, realized oh I probably have to not be as involved now he's just on twitter during draft day and that's fine because plenty of owners are on twitter during draft day jerry jones tweeting from a yacht you know yeah yeah just or that weird room that that <laughs> i joked on draft day their their draft room looks like what happens when you die and they have to decide whether or not you're going to heaven or hell this is the room that you see is that cowboys room with mike mccarthy and jerry jones no well, if and they so, have another bad season it's going for hell in a handbasket for mike mccarthy real quick um, uh yes I, I i agree with you on that it's it's He's get he's getting leeway, but yeah, it's it's very the, the game is very clearly passed about. He needs to go to college, like go 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 coach like Stanford, whoa, go coach Utah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Kyle, Mike McCarthy, you're talking about man who sat in a barn just studying analytics for a whole year, getting yes. massages, <laughs> but uh, the legal kind of massages, not the uh, you know Deshaun Watson kind. The Mike McCarthy, uh, the the game has very clearly passed that man by a little bit, and uh, I I just Mike Mike McCarthy. There's a lot of college openings. People will look for you, but I think that the biggest stain on Mike McCarthy's resume is that he has one Super Bowl. The fact that he only won one Super Bowl with those Packers teams is a stain on Mike McCarthy's resume. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I will never forget that he got fired because when you lose at home to Josh Rosen, you, you know your time is up in Green Bay. So. <laughs> Those, those are what I remember about Mike McCarthy. Uh, go, go get a college job. Go, go coach one of these like University of Colorado. Like go coach in the Pac-12. Go coach in the ACC. Like there's a lot of college openings for you. 
I mean, UCLA and Chip might open up here pretty soon, so yeah, that's an option. Um, yeah, why not? If UCLA doesn't care about winning football games, at the very least, just bring in Mike McCarthy and let him try and recruit some people. I think uh, Tennessee's kind of doing that, or Tennessee State is doing that with Jeff Fisher now. I think Eddie George is the coach there, but they're kind of just letting Jeff Fisher recruit some people now and see if that works out. God, I could go on a whole other tangent about the Pac-12, and we'll get into that um, some other day, but Kyle, it's been a great podcast. Obviously, like I really enjoy talking to you. This is the third time. It won't be the last time. You know, I'm always happy to get on the phone. You have my number. Uh, But then just plug away. You know, let's educate the people. Uh, Thank you for being available, man. Well, thank you, Juju. What can I plug? Well, I am, uh, I've, I've mastered the skill of shamelessly plugging over these many years of uh, creating podcasts. If you want to check out the Take It Easy podcast, look us up anywhere and everywhere that you get podcasts. Uh, the best way to actually find us is by following us on Instagram at take underscore it underscore easy underscore podcast, or as Juju mentioned off the top, comical underscore sports underscore memes on Instagram. If you want to check out our YouTube, it's called comical sports. If you want to buy one of these jackets, like what I'm wearing right now, our merch store is in the description of our Instagram accounts. We have a radio show. You can check that out too. It's in that same link in the bio to our Instagram. So yeah, check out all that stuff. And uh, thanks again, Juju. Like I I love doing these slump buster podcasts and uh, I, I brightened my day to see that I got a text from you to come on. So thank you again for everything. Well, it made my day brighter that you said yes, but all right, guys, check out Kyle Ledbetter, Comical Sports Memes, Take It Easy Podcast. This is the Slump Buster Podcast. You're listening, but are you subscribed? Come on, let's get us to 2K on YouTube. We're closing in on that, and we need your help to get there. Leave us a five-star review. Check out cavemancoffeeco.com. Use promo code SLUMP. Don't be a chump and save yourself some money on some delicious cold brew coffee. Guys, I need you to stay safe, happy, and healthy because we'll see you next time.